telling you, man. All right. I'm so excited to do this podcast about this specific movie. Yeah. As soon as you discussed doing this podcast, I, this is the first movie that came to mind. So, yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Hard Times on Film. Uh, my name's Nick. My name's Ray. And uh, we're here today to talk to you about the films of Charles Bronson and beyond. So thank you very much for joining us. If you haven't already watched the movie Hard Times, you might want to press pause and uh, and go out and watch it. Sort out your life. <laughs> you might want to yeah, take, a, take a searching moral inventory. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm pretty excited about this. How, how you been, Ray? What's going on with you, man? I'm out here in the garage. I'm out, uh, I'm out in the car my uh my recording space you're not allowed not allowed to record in the house it's more like it's too loud to record in the house <laughs> don't record that shit in this house <laughs> you go sit in your car in the garage <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah no i'm i'm out here it's uh i got the good temperature i got uh i got a drink uh this is gonna be great i can't wait hey you got a car and a garage that's more than most people back in the 30s could say they had that's and I'll for tell sure. you, yeah it's good times my, here good times here <laughs> hard times hard times hey listen so today we're talking about hard times which is a movie that came out in 1975 it was written and directed by walter hill uh who you may know from movies such as the warriors which is one of my all-time favorites 48 hours uh with nick nolte and uh, eddie murphy uh he i think he wrote or produced aliens and he also did crossroads he, you know, it's a lot, a lot of very popular movies and a very specific flavor. He had written a number of well-received scripts, but this was his directorial debut, uh, Hard Time. So it cost about $2.7 million to make, and uh, he said that about $1 million of that went to Bronson. Fairly low-budget movie in, in comparison to some of that, uh, Bronson's other films. Uh, it's been highly profitable, uh, both within the year of its release and subsequently. Uh, Bronson was about 54 when this movie was made. And a lot of people, myself included, think it's it's actually Bronson's uh, greatest performance. It is up there for sure. I'm so happy to be talking about this movie. I just, I've watched it now. Just we <laughs> yeah. watched it again last night. I have to have seen this movie at least twelve times. Yeah, you know, and and for I and it I gets loved better it. every time. I watched it night before last, and I think I loved it more than I ever have. It just gets better. It just gets better every time I watch it. So we're going to do the film in 60 seconds here. And uh, you're going to do it this time. Um, hard times is, is a little easier. I think than majestic, not quite as much happens in this film, uh, but in case you haven't watched the movie again, these are the most important details, the biggest plot twists, the main characters, etc. Everything you need. All right. So we're going to get the timer hooked up uh, here, Nick. Okay. <clears throat> One, two, three, go. Hard Times is a period piece set in Depression-era Louisiana. Charles Bronson stars as Cheney, a working-class man of mystery who rolls into town on a freight train and quickly meets a fast-talking, bare-knuckle boxing promoter named Speed, played by James Coburn. Despite clearly being north of 50 years old, Cheney works his way through the best bare-knuckle boxers in New Orleans, pausing a few times to get to know the beautiful, sad-eyed Lucy Simpson, played by Jill Ireland, and to distinguish himself as a capable man to be trusted and taken at his word. It is soon revealed that Speed has a gambling problem and has borrowed and lost money from local gangsters, setting the stage for one final battle, this time with Speed's life on the line against Street, an unbeatable professional fighter brought in from Chicago just for the occasion. In the end, Speed learns a valuable lesson, and Cheney is victorious, leaving town just as he arrived, a free man of integrity alone in the world, but seemingly content to ride the rails, knock people down, and do things his way. The end. Wow, that was tight. <laughs> <laughs> 
you got that that was almost the movie in 30 seconds that was it was right around four like 42 or something like that i didn't i didn't get into some of the other characters that i probably should have but um i figured we'll talk a bit more about it as we go through yeah the setting the time period the way it's all pulled off like i'm sure we'll get into all of it but it's just you're just sucked right into it you just want to be there yeah and i think for me too writing the notes of the film in 60 seconds it's hard to do justice to that element right it's just the story itself is quite simple yeah it doesn't turn a whole bunch of times but the actual essence of the film is much more visual than it is uh, narrative so i want to ask you though this is a, another classic classic bronson entrance can you describe that one for us so we don't have to wait long to see the man and he is silent as he is through much of the movie and he's looking out from the train watching as he pulls into the city and we just see him sort of surveying where he's arriving to and his face gives nothing away about who he is and yet at the same time i think we know exactly who he is like it's such an archetypal moment a lone silent guy arriving in a new town um we know this guy from a million movies and uh, he's just so stoic and so cool as he cruises into town and we get this great moment where he he looks to the side of the road and there's a group of children sitting in a truck and we already get the depression era vibe we get the sense from that right away and and he looks at them and they look at him we don't know anything about him but we know this is probably a good guy and we also know that he's hard as nails and and nobody has said a word so i think it's a brilliant brilliant entrance i i agree um and then you know bronson though his his face and he's got those those deep eyes determined manner and his on-screen magnetism give this character a depth and layers that i don't think any other actor could have pulled off like maybe there's a handful but bronson certainly took this much much further and gave it far more dimension than than most other actors could have uh, handled like they talked about jan michael vincent yeah. in this role and i just I can't even imagine. That would have been just a, a travesty. <laughs> well, we probably wouldn't be talking about it today. That's that's for sure. But yeah, Hill or- originally wanted a younger, he imagined a younger man. And fair enough, if that's how he pictured the story. But once Bronson steps into the character of Cheney, he completely owns it. You're right. You can't imagine anybody else. As is often the case, you're tempted to wonder where Bronson ends and the character begins. Like a... I think there is a lot of acting going on. Like it's not just Bronson's not just standing there in front of the camera being Bronson. Like you're absolutely right. The, what he brings to his face, which is already an incredible face, obviously, but what he, the emotion that he brings to it, I think is really deep sometimes in the movie and really subtle. Some of the stuff that he does. You look a little past it. Besides I already got a hitter. Yeah. Yeah. I saw him. Well, I'll send the bitch lay down on me tonight. Look, friend, every town's got a bar, every bar's got somebody who thinks he's tough as a nickel steak. But they all come to speed for the do re me. He's a bum, I'm the one that loses. I don't want your dough. I got six bucks and nothing else. You bet it. I got six bucks. Speaking of his of his incredible face, as you put it, no mustache. Well, apparently he was, I mean, he was asked to shave for the Depression era setting. I mean, uh, mustaches of the sort that Bronson was uh, known for would were not popular 
I don't think at the time they would have stuck out. Uh, and so he does agree to shave it in this case. Apparently he was asked many times by many directors to shave it. Uh, Telephone, I think they wanted him to shave it. Um, another one at least. Yeah, St. Uh, Ives, I think too. Oh, really? Oh, the mustache is so good in St. Ives though. Love it. I'm glad, I'm glad he kept it. But in this one, he shaves it. And it's, again, it's just everything about this is perfect. Like, I don't want to spoil the and review but like it seems like every choice was spot on and it's it's great that he doesn't have it his face looks amazing and he fits right in in that era i agree too i'm gonna agree with everything you say i think here today uh ray <laughs> but yeah i know there's great outfits on all fronts like there's a lot of brown or black work pants a lot of, a lot yeah. of work boots um alternates between a dark rust colored shirt and a blue work shirt. And I find myself just, I'm like, I'm going to go out and, and buy sh- these exact shirts the second I get my hands on them. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to say that every episode too. Yeah. Take all our fashion cues from. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's got the, um, the white tank top, you know? And I, you know, I wanted to say that I want to give a nod to all the fighters in this movie, especially the first few kind of no-name guys who are all wearing just <laughs> yeah. like tight black pants or boot or brown pants. Uh, they're stripped of the waist and they're they're just super normal looking. Yeah, yeah, and I think the like each character, the style of each character is so perfectly done too. Like I don't think Cheney's character, even his hair, uh, Bronson's hair, much shorter than usual. Uh, almost like Dirty Dozen style, like really short. And like, I was thinking like Chaney wouldn't have a mustache. Like often we see Chaney in the mirror, he shaves. Um, Like he wouldn't be fooling around with a mustache. He wouldn't be worried about it looking good or like none of those (laughs) concerns would make sense with this character. He's just like, no, he's going to cut it. It's super utilitarian. I'm going to shave my face and cut my hair super short. He's super disciplined. And I think, I think yeah. the word um, economical too really goes well with, with this character. Like everything he does is, is precise and, and yeah. uh, reasoned, you know? Nothing's wasted. No, and I think too the movie as well, like again, just to harp on the authenticity, but things like that Pentecostal choir, you know, when you first meet uh, Poe, the doctor, he's in this church with this Pentecostal choir. And that's a real church. like And a real choir, yeah. Yeah. And then there's that little boy dancing on the sidewalk out in front of Bronson's apartment that he rents. Yeah. Uh, and there's the oyster bar. Like I've been to New Orleans and they really did capture a feeling that you get when you go to that city. Probably the only thing in the movie that borders on cartoony at all is pose like uh, Colonel Sanders get up that he, yeah. <laughs> that he wears, you know, like obviously the, like the whole, you know, um edgar Allan poe like thing that that character has going on he like he's a little cartoony but he totally works uh and the and the ladies in the movie too i love old movies i love movies from the 30s i want like i'll watch a lot uh, like turner classic movies and stuff like that and all the ladies in this movie look like they walked right out of a 1930s movie like they're all always wearing these like silk slips in the hallway (laughs) of the of the apartment like they all look like gene harlow they all like it's so authentic to the to the time it's great i agree all of the all the acting in this film too is very strong Uh, but we'll get we'll get into that in a few minutes what about the what about the felt cap though before we leave 
Oh, Bronson's hat. Bronson's hat. I searched online. I, w- I wanted to know exactly what one of these caps was called. It's not the same cap from Majestic. Like there's more to it. It's more sort of like f- fluffy almost. It's got more body to it. And I looked all over online and there's a million different names for these. Like they're basically just felt caps. They were so ubiquitous that if you look and find old ads, there were 50 different kinds of felt cap. But um, along with those shirts, you, we got to pick up some of these as well. Yeah, I don't know if I'd wear one of those, but uh, and I don't think I'd look as good as he does in it, that's for sure. Uh, one last thing about the aesthetic, too. I noticed in this movie that there's a, a connection between this movie and, and then a movie that was released 10 years later called Down by Law by Jim Jarmusch. And I don't know if it was intentional, but I can't imagine it wasn't because there's a few scenes in this movie that really seem to be the precursor to to uh, down by law in particular this is a scene you know cheney comes over to speed's apartment and it's so much like when rocket's red glare goes over to john lurie's apartment in down by law I, I don't know maybe i'm making this up but i really love both movies so much i thought it would be worth mentioning like it's just the kind of thing that you want to rip off like it's so impressive in how it is staged and blocked and how the music's used, which we'll get into in a little bit, like every element of it as a budding filmmaker, or if I'm an indie filmmaker in the eighties, like I would want to rip off uh, or let's say homage uh, some of the, some stuff from this movie as well. Yeah, you're right. It's, it has the recipe down. Yeah. One of the things I really love about this movie too, is that, I don't think that Bronson, I read somewhere actually that I didn't count this, but I don't think Bronson says more than 500 words in the entire film. So your leading character um, speaks so little. That's something I've seen that as well in Jarmish movies where you'll have long scenes where there's very little dialogue. You would never guess that that was true though. Like if you watch this movie, you would think that Bronson spoke a lot through the whole movie. Like it doesn't, because so much comes across from him, I don't think it would register like, like it never registers like, hey, that guy doesn't really talk. You don't ever think that. You're getting so much from him it's through, true. like you said, all his movements and all his, the looks he gives and everything. I think the best example of what you've just described, that scene with Coburn's character, Speed, when they're sitting by the waterside waiting for the ferry or something, and Speed kind of tears into him, and, and he needs money, and he's getting desperate, and he accuses Cheney of owing him something. Well, the way I look at it, you owe me. We used my bankroll to begin with, my money, my contact. You were a bum when I met you, and you're nothing without me. Yeah, I figure you owe me. Um, you say you know to me. Oh, speed. Cheney! Dumb. <laughs> yeah. Another thing about that scene that's just amazing is the, the soundtrack. Like, you're only really hearing some dock noises of the rumbling of a truck nearby. And there's no music. There's very little music. And I wonder, that's another element that I think makes this movie brilliant is its use of music. Do you want to talk a bit about that, Ray? Yeah, I think it's just um, like, it's just masterful, the use of music in this movie. Um, the music is sort of, well, it's credited to um, Barry Devorzon, 
who worked with Hale a few times, did, did music on uh, The Warriors. He did the theme from the, for the TV show SWAT, which is a super memorable theme. Uh, Stick with Reynolds, he does the movie. And uh, Exorcist 3 another another uh classic so the, like it. he worked he worked on a lot of interesting stuff had a long and varied career uh as part of the warriors he co-wrote uh in the city with joe yeah. walsh the big hit yeah yeah for sure so uh yeah he's great but the thing the thing about it is that there's really there is no music like in the movie there is the train rolling in when we meet bronson there is like this sort of uh, acoustic folk melodic piece but apart from that there is no music that's tracked to the action at all in the entire movie i had watched it a few times before i realized this and then i had to go through the movie once specifically looking and i there is not a single moment with any orchestrated music in the movie which is such a ballsy move for a first-time director to make but that doesn't mean there isn't music in the movie. There is music strategically all through the movie. Like you all already mentioned, the, like in the Baptist church, we get the choir. Uh, but it's all ambient in the background within the context of a scene or performed live. So there's jukeboxes or radios playing, but they're often so quiet in the mix too. I had to crank my TV watching it. I think there's music. I would say, and I just crank it up to like 50. And uh, sure enough, there is some faintly playing in the background, like some Dixieland kind of jazz of the time. Even when he's in his apartment and I was sure that it was silent, if you really crank it, there's music from the street. But in addition to the music, there's like there's other things that support the scenes. I found like when him and speed are on the train and the like, because there's no music, you're just left with that soundtrack of the train. And in all the fight scenes, you just get this constant murmur and roar of the crowd and no music. Like it is just brilliant. I, I, I love it. I think the effect in pulling you into the movie is, is incredible. Like you just feel like you're there. And I think the silence is part of it. What do you think of that? Oh yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah, I mean the the great the denouement, the big fight scene at the end against Street. It's the silence that really makes it so tense. You know, it's just uh yeah, that's a really impressive and like you said like a gutsy choice that uh, Hill makes in not having any music throughout. I, like it seems counterintuitive too. Like I'm thinking of that fight with Street and like the way it crescendos like you can see where most people would put this big crescendo in the music as well. And then a break and then some trying to build some tension up to will he, won't he, but no, like he'll just, no, we're just going to leave it quiet. And it, the effect is, is perfect. Yeah. Having, making that choice is something that keeps it timeless too, because so often with these movies, and I'd say the same about Majestic. I think we did actually talk about how in Majestic, they make some choices aesthetically that are pretty specific to that time. Yeah. And this film, it's very strict and it's something that keeps it timeless even 40 years later. Yeah. Watching it in 2021, like there's nothing old timey or that doesn't ring true or that super seventies, like there's nothing that pulls you out of it. And you're like, Oh yeah, this is a seventies movie. It really feels pretty timeless. But hey, let's move away from uh, some of the style that we're talking about and all this music and stuff like that. And let's maybe get into the substance. What do you say? The substance. 
according to Nick and Ray. Hard Times is just strictly about honor, maybe, you know, just humanity, honor. Uh, the movie's basically about the American dream. You know, it's about the pursuit of wealth, and ultimately, uh, it's about the ownership of the means of production. So, you know, Cheney is a, he's a worker, but he owns the means of production. His unbeatable fighting ability, his tremendously uh, uh, valuable ability to knock people down. Uh, he's able to live a life with a very rare freedom at that time. And when in the movie, it's, it's super cool because everyone else in the movie, uh, with the exception of, of Coburn's character and, and Chick, um, they're struggling. So there's either an oyster shucker, there's servers, there's musicians, there's cooks, there's drivers, there's the less successful fighters. Um, and in terms of class, you know, Coburn's characters, he's kind of uh, in between, like he flirts with the upper class, but his own appetites and his lack of refinements kind of keep him from transcending to a place where he doesn't have to hustle so much. I don't think this movie has any sort of moral. It's a foundational piece of the story, though. Uh, money is the motivating factor for all the characters, with the possible exception of Chick, because he already owns that oyster factory. And his goal is to employ and associate himself with the best fighter in the city. Um, it's notable that both he and Speed are the most morally corrupted of all the characters. I think, you know, Speed suggests that Cheney owes him something. Um, he cheats on his fiance with a, with a prostitute. And then uh, Chick throws those uh, pipes or whatever you call them down, down the street. Yeah. And he refuses them, which I think is kind of this uh, illustration of an unwritten agreement between these working men who they don't need to say anything, but by their actions, they show respect for one another. There's a bit of integrity there that maybe the other characters don't have the ones who are, who are manipulating these fighters for their amusement or maybe their income. Either way, I don't think this was supposed to be some sort of you know Marxist statement by uh, the director, uh, not in the least. And it, I, but I do think it's kind of a fascinating depiction of that relationship between people uh, that was very much a reality of that that time in the 30s in America. Right up until the uh, the final edit, there were these title cards. It was going to get told in chapters and these quotes were going to appear on the screen. And one of them was to very overtly say that there's no moral to the movie, sort of like announcing that. For me, it's all about the title, like all about here's what happens during hard times. Everyone in the movie is left with the only thing that they have, the, the, the only thing that they carry around with them. Like Cheney can knock people down. That's all he's got. And when everything uh, gets stripped away during hard times, that's what he has to rely on. And, and sort of that's all we know about him is cruising around doing what he can do. And speed, well, speed can, uh, he can talk a good game. He doesn't have his, he doesn't have the physicality, but he has, he's got the mouth on him to get a little money and turn it into more money. Like that's the thing that he can do. And, you know, pose a cut guy and and Lu and lucy is sort of left with her beauty she's sitting in this cafe waiting for a guy to buy her a cup of coffee yeah it, it doesn't really say anything about that uh to me it just kind of shows and i i think it so much of it rings true take everything away from everybody and see what happens this movie reminds me a lot of obviously a lot of steinbeck books bronson's character is very much He's a Grapes of Wrathy kind of individual. And you just see things get taken away from people and taken away from people and, and what they're pushed to doing, what they're still able to, to do. 
how they're going to make ends meet. So I, I thought it was just a super interesting character study that way. It doesn't really hold anyone out, up as sort of particularly evil necessarily or particularly good. Everyone's sort of doing what they've got to do. Yeah, I really like that there's no evil in this movie. I think that's kind of unique. Like even the fighters that Bronson tangles with, you know, that no one's really a bad guy. Uh, Robert Tessier's character, the, the bald guy, Joe Henry, uh, he's laughing and smiling throughout all the, all the matches. And you kind of feel sorry for the guy a few times in the film. And then Street, the, the big opponent at the end, he's got so much dignity, right? He's just a professional fighter who's come down to do his best and um, he expects to win. Even Chick, the empresario at the oyster uh, factory is, he, he's very gracious in defeat. You know, he has a, a twinkle in his eye. Um, the only weakness he really showed is, is at the end of that fight when he wanted to win so badly that he was willing to cheat for it. Yeah, we, well, we also see kind of what undoes everyone. Like you can imagine a better ending for, for almost everybody in the movie, but they're all undone by their own fatal flaw. Bronson, for one, he could clearly be with Lucy and create sort of a life that, as a viewer, you would imagine is better than riding the rails. But he just can't not move on. Or maybe he could, but Lucy also just kind of can't wait. And then you've got Speed, who can't not blow any money that he gets. Like, he has to just throw, he has to throw it around. And they, they all have this little chink in the armor that ends up kind of keeping them from getting all the way to where they want to be. I agree again, 100%. I, I find it kind of fun to think about um, where this movie sits in terms of its its place in history with uh, it being a depression of the 30s in, in America and then seeing how they all interact with having or not having. It's fun to look at that from an ideological standpoint, but it's absolutely not what the movie's trying to do. That's just me ascribing some, some fun meaning to it. I, I like that how... Um... John Henry's character too. Like the only thing that he has is that he's unbeaten, right? Like that's the only value that he's got. So as soon as he's beaten, he's just not, he's just nothing. Like the only thing he had to offer was his reputation, his unbeaten status. And so as soon as Bronson um, knocks him down, he's, he's knocked so far down that he's just carrying the next guy's luggage. Like you get the impression that he's never even going to fight again, even though he's obviously a super capable, he could beat anyone except Bronson, which is, which is no slouch. We can talk a bit about the action, actually, you know, the scene when he's, he's fighting Tessier, you know, John Henry, and he, he's beating him pretty good. They're in a cage and, and Bronson's taking it to him, but he's still, he's holding his own. And for the first time, Tessier kind of, he looks at him and he says, Hey, you're pretty good. You know, it's just yeah. such a great line and he's smiling and he's like, he's genuinely impressed by, by Bronson's skills as a fighter. I love how all the fighters are given distinct styles of fighting. Like you can see, how are we going to make this visually interesting? So you get Tessier, you get John Henry with his almost cartoonish, how he kind of rolls his fists in front of him, like uh, something out of it. I don't know, like an Abbott and Costello movie or something like that. And then you get Bronson he stands very straight backed he, or almost like he's leaning back. And the way he like throws these smacks on the top of Tessie's head, 
like he just throws out these sort of taunting smacks but also kind of like testing the distance or or whatever he's doing it's it's so cool and then street is different again uh the way they hold themselves and that brings a lot of interest to those fights because they're not like they're not really high intensity fights it's so satisfying again i think it's because of the archetype that bronson represents you just love seeing him win you know it's so satisfying and it's very well set up the tension is is perfect the first fight when he just lays the guy out in one punch after the guy kind of says that you know hey you're kind of old for this or you know <laughs> pops yeah it's just genius uh what are the other what are the other action scenes in the film that stand out beyond the fighting the bar scene where they go to get their money back is probably one of the closest to like action. Like the movie doesn't, there's no chases in the movie. Nobody's like swinging from a fire escape. Like there really is none of that. In fact, I think like I read, they, they got notes from the studio, I think to put more action in, I think they added fights because initially it was much more character and even less fighting. So it's a movie about fighting, but it's not like filled with fighting. Again, just want to say thanks to Paul Talbot for the research that he put into these two books, Bronson's Loose and Bronson's Loose Again, because finding out that there was about 30 minutes of scenes that were cut from this movie, it is a bit frustrating to, to imagine that somewhere, maybe in a can, there's all this extra footage that someone has to put in an extra features on a Blu-ray at some point, because... I got, I got to see that in my lifetime. Like the fact that Bronson thought this movie could have been a vehicle for him to finally be recognized by, you know, the golden globes or whatever. And so did everyone, everyone thought he was going to garner a nomination out of, out of this thing. And then so many of his uh, character scenes got cut. I still think he deserved it though. I do too. Obviously I've, maybe I'm biased. I'm on a podcast that's uh, extolling the virtues of Charles Bronson. I think he should have won one for a few yeah. of his movies, but yeah, no, I totally agree. It's a uh, great, great performance by him and by literally every other actor in the film. You got to take a moment, I think, and recognize Jill Ireland in this movie. We're going to talk about her many times and it's not always going to be the most flattering depending on what flick we're talking about but i think it's worth like giving her her due when uh when she deserves it because she is great in this movie like just the scene with her when she first meets bronson uh the way she delivers her lines the the little subtle looks that she gives him like i think it's her best performance that i've ever seen it's so fun to see how natural they are with one another. Their, their chemistry is incredible. And she uh, puts in a very similar performance uh, to him. Like she's charismatic on screen, says very little. Um, her physical performance is extraordinary. And uh, yeah, like I think this is the best, the best Jill Ireland performance I've ever seen. Second only to maybe uh, Assassination. I can't wait to see this assassination. <laughs> Every time we talk, like Ray and I, whenever we have a conversation, he brings up assassination. <laughs> because it's an example of so many funny things. So uh, yeah, like it's probably her, maybe her low point, probably. We'll see. It'll be funny to watch it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the other stars. You know, James Coburn obviously is a big star. He was in um, Magnificent Seven in 1960 with Bronson and also in The Great Escape. Uh, Strether Martin, who's just amazing in this movie, uh, he's also in Slapshot, I, I found out, and, and Up oh, in yeah? Smoke. So I'm going to watch Up in Smoke <laughs> and Slapshot again for sure. Coming soon, the Strether Martin podcast. 
Robert Tessier, a couple of things I, I unearthed about him. Um, I think Paul Talbot notes this, that he, uh, he actually did time. He was a biker. He was a paratrooper in Korea. And before this movie was shot, he was arrested for some sort of drug offense and he was supposed to be going to jail, but the judge allowed him to film the movie and then, and then go to jail. So as soon as this movie wrapped, he went to prison for three months. Yeah. You know, pretty cool. And then he's also in Bra- in Breakheart Pass with Bronson, and he's in The Longest Yard and Cannibal Run, which was his the both of their very next movie. Like Breakheart Pass come is right after this, and I wonder if Tessier getting a role in that had anything to do with the fact that Bronson broke his nose uh, in in one of the fight scenes. Apparently, he accidentally hit him like seven times or something in, in their fight. <laughs> Bruce Glover plays the kind of strong man in the, in the movie who comes after speed for owing money. Yeah. And uh, he's in Chinatown. He's in walking tall, but he's actually the father of Crispin Glover, which I, Oh, is he after I, Oh yeah. As soon as I learned that, I watched it again. You're like, like, yeah, oh total resemblance. Now that completely. you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. So that's Crispin Glover's dad. I, uh, I like to look at some of the really the deep cuts and there's a few pretty interesting people here. Charles Hicks, who plays a Speed's first boxer at the beginning of the movie, he gets beaten really badly. He was in Four for Texas back in 1963 with, with Bronson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nick Dimitri, um, who plays Street, uh, he's in Commando, he's in Last Action Hero, um, and he's actually in Four for Texas and Kid Galahad, which is the, the Bronson's El- only Elvis movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he's a big time, uh, a, a lot of these uh, lesser characters are big time stuntmen. And so he's, he's got a really long stat sheet. Uh, Frank McRae is the sledgehammer guy who's like a, a former professional football player. He beats the hell out of Speed's car. He's in License to Kill. He's in Red Dawn. He's in 48 Hours. And he's in Rocky Two, among many other films. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then finally, um, Maurice uh, Kabalewski is, uh, he plays Caesar. He's the kind of sleazy guy at the beginning in the very first fight scene who's the handler of the other boxer and he's got kind of bad teeth and he's also in death hunt. And as soon as I read that, it's like, Oh, of course. Yeah. He is in death hunt. He's one of the, one of the people in that town and death hunt, which I, yeah, we should, we should watch death hunt. <laughs> like the guy who shows up a couple of times, cause he's always there taking the yeah. money, like holding the he's, money. He's, he's at working a couple for of the fights. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we'll eventually we'll, we'll review death hunt and you can, maybe we'll, we'll talk about Maurice uh, Kowalewski if we get to it. But uh, this brings me, you know, one of my favorite segments of our podcast is uh, Ray's agreed to, to read the book associated with the film. And, and I understood this one might, might have been kind of difficult, 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 difficult. You're about to be backed into Bronson's Book Corner. This was a tough book to find. I, I got to tell you, um, like a lot of these Bronson books, you can find them at your local used bookstore. But for whatever reason, the hard times novelization was very difficult to track down uh even online i could find a copy or two it was going to cost me like a hundred dollars for a paperback and uh till the patreon money starts really flowing in <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty steep for a for yeah for a paperback uh but um what ended up happening was i had to, i realized that I was, all, I was always searching for hard times. And one of the things we didn't mention is that in most of the world, this movie was not known as hard times. Uh, this movie was known as the Street Fighter. 
But because there was a recent uh, martial arts movie in North America called The Street Fighter, they changed the name, turned it changed to Hard Time. So that the novelization turns out published like in the UK and elsewhere is called The Street Fighter. So once I realized that, I did a little search and I was able to find some some copies for a little cheaper. Uh, maybe down the road, we could throw in um, an edit on this episode that includes a review of that book by Ray. That sound okay, Ray? There's one in the mail. So maybe there'll be a, um, maybe we'll have to do a, a segment where we call back to hard times because it includes apparently all of those scenes that were cut, that half hour of character development, the end where they all meet up again in Florida. Um, all of these scenes are apparently still in the novelization, which is going to be super cool to read. Well, yeah, we'll look forward to getting a proper review of that when, when you get it in the mail. Let's go over then to our review roundup. And this is the segment of the uh, podcast when we go through some just random uh, good reviews and random bad reviews from the internet. And uh, I've got a pretty pretty bad review here to start us off with, uh, Ray. It's- I find it hard to believe. The Review Roundup. B. Malakwa from September 8th of 2000. Oh, 2021. So this is a fresh review by B. A fresh negative review. Yeah, by uh, by B. Malakwa. Okay. Predictable from start to finish, it says. Nothing special to rave about other than the period ambiance of the movie. The movie is kind of cartoony, no suspense, no drama. Bronson is the cliche hero he has played in most of his movies. Don't know why Jill Ireland is in the movie, maybe to keep Bronson company. James Coburn can't act. Wish they would have beat him up. (laughs) I would have enjoyed seeing him get beat up. Wow. Okay. This person is... I couldn't, in addition to being cruel, clearly, yes. is also f- foolish. Yeah, terrible, t- a terrible writer too. This terrible is, review. This yeah. person, well, this person's leaning on things like cliche and no surprises. They're not understanding. This is working. Like this movie works within a genre. Like this movie doesn't try to offer up. Like this movie is taking, like we'd said a couple times, like an archetypal story, and 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 going through those movements in a perfect fashion. I would just suggest that B. Malak will watch it 10 or 12 times. Yeah. I think, I think he or she, or they will, will start to come up, come away with a better, a better feeling for it. What do you, what did you find, Ray? Looking on Amazon, people that are, are hooking themselves up with the DVD or the Blu-ray here. I got uh, M Thornburg, M Thornburg verified purchase on Amazon five stars. And they've titled this review. How does it make you feel? from October 25th, 2017. She says, I think it's a she, I wouldn't call myself so much a fan of Charles Bronson, but I love every movie he made just because he's in it. But I do love Hard Times, which is a good thing because my husband watches it at least weekly. Yes, it's about a street fighting, about street fighting for money, but it's also about so much more character, honesty, loyalty, and it's a realistic reflection of the hard times of the American Great Depression. Also, of course, is solid acting by James Coburn, Strother Martin, Jill Ireland, Bronson himself. It's good to see these people in roles that exhibit their talent. So M. Thornburg is hitting all the right notes here, recognizing the solid acting of James Coburn, not like, um, uh, what's his name, the review that you were just reading? Yeah, B. Malacqua. It was lost on B. Malacqua. What stood out to me from this review, uh, and it's just in parentheses, 
when they say my husband watches it at least weekly. And I mean, <laughs> one of our uh, one of our wives wrote that one. <laughs> yeah, but all, like all I have to say to the ladies out there is, if you find a guy that watches Hard Times at least weekly, put a ring on it. <laughs> lock that fella down. You know, lock lock that down because you've found something special. So good on you, M. Thornburg. He'll be out in the garage, sitting in the car, talking to his buddy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He'll be up in his. He'll be up in his attic. I don't know if you could hear hear my kids crying downstairs right now. But is he? Yeah, he's having a hard time. Hard times. It's hard times. <laughs> well, that brings us towards the end of the uh, podcast here, folks. And and the last couple of things we have to do. Uh, one of them is a rating. And I think I, I have a I have a feeling how Ray's gonna how Ray's gonna rate this one. Yeah, I have a feeling. I have a feeling how you're gonna rate it too. Yeah. So one thing we like to do though is associate our rating with some. And, and before we do this, so that was a five star, but it was a five out of five. I'm guessing. It was a five out of five. It was full marks. <laughs> yeah, full marks. Just to clarify, so we we don't use stars. We don't use thumbs up. Um, we try to find something in the film that we can use as a as a. Um, a ledger, I guess you'd say. And uh, in this case, we'll use oysters. So I know that Speedy order, orders six oysters at one point. So let's say how many... Six more. Can I get six more of those? <laughs> yeah. He's celebrating his win. Can we just, before we do this, can we just sell it, like say how incredible that scene is where Coburn goes and gets six oysters and then he sort of presides over the guy picking them? Like, he's, no, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one. And can I get a couple of lemons? Yeah, good. And he's just watching everything. And then he turns around and Bronson has appeared without a word. He's just sitting in the chair. Yeah, it's genius. And, oh, and one it. last thing I'll say. Oh, yeah. James Coburn is just spectacular in this movie. He makes every scene really memorable and, and a lot of fun. And I actually would, would include um, the actor whose name escapes me, but who plays... Uh, chick some of their exchanges it's just so eloquent and and fun and and smooth you know and cool miss cheney it's been a pleasure watching you wait well you know chick like old mama said next best thing to playing and winning playing and losing i see you now adios one great thing about Coburn and, and Bronson, they'll come up together a few times. They're in a couple of uh, movies together. But if you're looking for a really interesting movie to spend a night with, a really fun movie, you, you've got to track down a movie called Firepower, which is a movie that was r- supposed to star Bronson and Sophia Loren and O.J. Simpson. Uh, but Bronson backs out of it and they get Coburn to star. O.J. Simpson? So... Yeah, so it's a great comment. Like it's a, it is a hundred percent a Bronson movie. Like when you're watching, you're like, this is a Bronson movie, but it's James Coburn in the Bronson role. Wow. So it's a, so like it's a great combination of those two guys. So I would check that out. Firepower. Yeah. Thanks very much, Ray. All right. So, anyways, oysters. That's what we were talking right. about. Yeah. So our rating for this for this film, I think I made you go first last time. So I'll go. I'll go first this time. I'm gonna say it's ten out of ten oysters 10 oysters out of 10 10 oysters out of 10 i'm i'm right there with you i think this is a perfect movie uh i'll watch this movie many times more uh in my life and there isn't a scene that i don't love could be the only 10 out of 10 you'll hear from us for for a while i, th- I think um 
It depends. Yeah, Maybe. We'll, we'll get close a lot of times. It's funny. Do you have any? Uh, you don't have to. Don't name drop them. But do you have any in the back of your mind that you know, that you suspect are going to be ten out of ten? Yes, there there are a couple. Yeah, yeah, me as me as well. But it's a short list. It is a short list, and I and I have a feeling it'll you and I'll have different choices. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, so with that, our next movie. What do you think about doing the Dirty Dozen? I think a lot about doing the Dirty Dozen. <laughs> well, you brought up you brought up that you know Bronson looks a lot like Waterslaw, his character in the in the Dirty Dozen. Yeah. So let's do that. A couple one of next. short haircuts in a row, a couple of clean shaves in a row. Yeah, <laughs> it's very rare. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, okay, folks, this has been Hard Times on Film. Uh, thank you all so much for listening through and really uh, going on this ride with us. We both love this one. And I hope, that, I hope that if you haven't seen it by now, you'll have paused and gone out and watched it because it's, it's, uh, it's worth your time. Hard Times. Folks, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been Hard Times on Film. My name is Nick. I'm Ray. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with The Dirty Dozen. Until then, tell everybody you know to watch the podcast. Tell your best friend. Listen to it. If they don't, tell them that they're no longer your best friend. Do whatever you got to do. Beg, borrow, steal to get a hold of uh, whatever sort of technology you need to download or stream or whatever. You you know, read the transcripts of this. Do what you have to do. These are hard times. You got to dig deep. Yeah. Thanks, Let's everybody. Go. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Ray. Take care of yourself, man. All right. You as well, Nick. Don't start that car up. Just go back in the house. <laughs> yeah. Don't fall asleep out there. Don't go worry. Watch, go watch hard times. I just might, 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 I just might.